Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Michael Hyatt and Brian Clark from Copyblogger, and we're going to explore why these big bloggers turn their comment systems back on. Yes, they had them off for a long time, and now they have them on. We're going to talk about why. And I also have a huge bonus as I dig deep with these guys on their newest email list growth strategies, and you are not going to want to miss that. If you have any questions for me, email me at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And with that, let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher. And Eric, what's your brand new discovery? This week, I found Anchor.fm. What is it? Okay. It, well, it is a social network where you can instantly broadcast bite-sized audio clips to the world and react to them as well. Okay. So um, it's an app, right? Yes. And when you say broadcast bite-sized audio clips to the world, explain what you mean by that. So what you can do is you can record using your phone two-minute audio clips and talk about anything. You can ask questions. You can have a make a statement, if you will. It's almost like the 140 characters of Twitter brevity, but on steroids because it's your voice. Okay, so and, hold on. So you're making a um, – and I've used this app. It's pretty cool. You hold it up to your head just like you're on the phone. The user inter- interface is really quite, quite cool and simple. Yes. And it literally just goes beep. And then you record whatever you want to say, and then you're done. Um, so in that regards, it's like simple. But once you're done recording this little, you know, one or two minute or less audio clip, then what happens? Well, then you can either tag people in the post or you, and or you can write a little description about it and leave it at that and just publish it on Anchor in and of itself. Or you can tweet it out, share it out to Facebook. You can even embed these, uh, what they call waves, uh, on blog posts if you want to. So the Anchor app creates an audio file called the wave. Yes. And this is what's intriguing about it, at least for me. It's not like it just... It's not like you just create a little audio clip and then you sit back and you're done. Somehow there's some sort of like... Um, integration with Twitter or something where automatically it, it seems as if your friends are notified that you're on anchor. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think even a tweet goes out on Twitter that says I recorded an anchor 
listen to it here, right? Uh, it, it's in the settings, yeah. Um, it, it is integrated with Twitter in terms of finding your friends and searching your contacts on your phone. So that's why half the time, you know, your Twitter followers are going to be the ones that find you there first. Um, but, but then, yeah, you know, tweeting it out is something that you you have to switch on in the settings, and then it's always an option. It was there. defaulted on for me. Yeah, and, it and wasn't I, for me. And, and maybe it just depends when you download the app. But I will tell you, this is the cool part. The replies. Explain how that yes. works. Yeah. So then the replies, you can, once you've hit, and by the way, you don't have to be on the app to listen to someone's wave audio file. You, but it, but it, it helps. It helps because then when you're on the phone and you hit, uh, you, you have listened to it, you can hit the reply button and then you have a minute that you can then respond to that person. So for example, our friend, Podcast answer man Cliff Ravenscraft, he did a, an ask me anything that he just kicked off, and so then he's got people he you know jumping in and asking him one minute questions. See, this is where it gets intriguing. Like I I've only done about three anchors, or whatever the heck they call them, and um, lots of people end up audibly replying. And what's really cool is people can audibly reply to me or the other people that are in the thread. So when you listen back, yes. When you listen back to your anchor, it's like listening to a story because you hear someone respond to you. And then after that, someone might respond to that person that just responded to you. And it's just this long, interesting dialogue of different voices. And it really is kind of like an audio social network, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like if... You know how when on on Twitter you can click the you well you used to yeah you still can anyway you click the URL of the original tweet and then you see all the responses right. on the way down through it's kind of like that but with audio. So is this only an iOS thing or is it Android also? For now it is iOS only. However, they are heavily into development on getting that Android app out there, so it should be there soon. Yeah, and I will tell folks, uh, it's a pretty cool app. Um, I would say it's probably one of the nicest looking interfaces I've ever seen in an app. Very, very easy onboarding process. So, Eric, tell everybody where they can they can get the app. Yeah, you can head on over to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Or I would imagine you could just search the app store for the word yes. anchor, right? Yes. Awesome. Thanks for bringing us that find, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And with that, let's transition over to today's awesome interview, which I know you're going to love. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined by two experts today, Brian Clark, 
and Michael Hyatt. If you don't know who Michael Hyatt is, he's the author of Platform and co-author of the brand new book, Living Forward, A Proven Plan to Stop Drifting and Get the Life You Want. He's also an avid blogger at michaelhyatt.com and host of the This Is Your Life podcast, which I listen to all the time. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Great to be with you. We're also joined by Brian Clark, who is the CEO of Rainmaker Digital. He's the founder of Copyblogger a blog that I used to write for a long time ago. He's also host of the Unemployable podcast and an evangelist for the Rainmaker platform. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. So today we're going to explore why these two major blogs had previously turned off their comment sections on their blog and then decided to turn them back. Now, before we get into the questions, I want to give a little context for you that are listening right now. Uh, Back in May of 2014, I had Mark Schaefer and Tim McDonald, who was with Huffington Post, he was their community manager, uh, specifically in regards to comments on my show to talk about the trend that big blogs were shutting down their comments. And you can check it out at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 92. And um, this was all spurred by a conversation, uh, controversial post from Copyblogger entitled, Why we're removing comments on Copyblogger. And Brian published that around March of 2014. Then in January of 2015, Michael Hyatt published, I pulled comments from my blog and here's why. So what we're going to do today is we're going to explore why these guys shut down their blog comments in the beginning and kind of what happened and then why they are now back. So Brian, let's start with you. Um, what was the motivation back in May of 2014? Uh, well, actually, was it May? No, it was, uh, yeah, no, March of 2014. Why did you decide to shut down the, the blog comments? Let's hear a little bit about that. Yeah, first of all, I have to make an, an important admission here, uh, which may be strange coming from the founder of the site and the CEO of the company. But in neither case uh, did I decide to remove and or bring back. Um, I really left that up to my editorial team. Uh, I thought that was the appropriate thing. Um, but in general, the idea at the time, uh, for me, from my perspective, why I was able to let them uh, make a pragmatic decision based on uh, what they were seeing and what they felt was an experiment, was that, first of all, comments are incredibly important, and they were incredibly important to me uh, for many, many years on Copyblogger. And, and this is goes uh, into what kind of content is resonating, where are people getting stuck. All of these kind of things are indispensable. And, and you may have noticed that when we launched our podcast network, we, do, we did have comments enabled because it was a new site, and it was important to us to get that kind of feedback. But on Copyblogger, um, a lot of that feedback... Uh, we're shifting to social media. Number two, um, a lot of the feedback that I used in product development, which was crucial during the early years, really shifted over to our customer base. You know, as you mature as a company, you really start listening to your existing customers uh, as opposed to those out in the wild necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just, you know, I, I think at the time we had 150,000 customers. That's That's a big customer base. And it was really important for our ongoing strategy to pay attention more to them. And then finally, I will say something that is not in that post by Sonia Simone, who ultimately 
uh, I think, made the decision with the input of the rest of the editorial team. And you guys may have noticed this because you both uh, have very popular blogs. Mike, obviously, you in, in social media uh, and Michael uh, in personal development and, and other aspects, actually. But we had this situation where we had what I would call the six-month class of current commenters. And this had been going on for a long time. When you publish a marketing blog, other marketers who are also seeking our audience, they use commenting as a traffic strategy. So it was almost like clockwork. You would see the same class Mm -hmm. or group of commenters. And some of the comments were really, really good, but you knew why they were doing it. And I was always highly critical of commenting as a traffic strategy. I, I didn't think it was the smartest use of time, but whatever. So you'd have six months of people showing up, leaving comments, some stupid, some thoughtful, and then they'd move on and a new group of people would come. So there was a, a little bit of personal annoyance because this had been going on for years and coupled with the shift to social media and coupled with the fact that we were looking more and more to our existing customer base for feedback on development and product uh, strategy going forward, that I was perfectly fine with the lack of comments on Copyblogger. Mm-hmm. Now, the practical reasons that editorial went with it was shift to social. That was a big one. But number two, spam. You guys both run huge sites. Uh, it, it's a big deal to moderate comments. Um, and when we talk about bringing comments back, you'll see what we did to try to minimize that. Um, but it was our thinking that from an editorial standpoint, having someone spending a significant amount of time trying to figure out uh, as spammers got more creative, is this a spam comment? Is it legitimate? You know, mm-hmm. is this, you know, how much is slipping by uh, your, your traditional uh, filters that catch the obvious stuff? So it really came down to, is this important to us as a business right now? And uh, can we carry on the conversation out there in the social media realm uh, where we saw things shifting year after year after year, Mike, which you're familiar with? And then it was just like, should we have someone doing this work or not? And that was the basis of the decision. Now, if you remember, Sonia did try not to make it uh, final, which was a good thing, obviously. <laughs> um, she called it an experiment. Uh, but I guess it carried on for a year. Yeah, I think so. Michael, how about yourself? What was your decision? Yeah, well, similar to what Brian has shared, um, you know, there was kind of the empirical reason I just noticed that the number of comments that I was getting per post on average had been going down for some time. So I decided to go in and, and do a little research on my blog. And I found out, for example, in 2011, I was averaging about a, a 195 comments per post. Which is so, which is still crazy. I mean, that's so high. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's so high. It was just, you know, I had a very engaged community. And then in 2012, while my traffic's going up, mind you, um, it dropped to 179. And then my traffic went up again. Uh, and then I would get 114 and then my traffic had a huge jump in 2014. It was up like 74% over 2013, but my comments dropped down to about 62 Hmm. per, uh, per post. So like Brian, I noticed that a lot of it was moving to social. Um, I was trying to keep up with the growth myself and I'm just thinking I, and and by the way, I read Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism. And I thought, you know, I got to just pair some stuff back. And I was seeing all the same spam, spam that Brian was talking about, you know, people that were 
uh, obvious spammers, people that were not so obvious, people that were hunting traffic and all that stuff. And I just got tired of uh, spending so much of my day uh, doing that. And kind of the final straw for me, I've used and frankly I'm currently using Discuss as my commenting platform. But they started injecting into the comment feed ads. Yep. And there was no way at that point to turn it off. And that just was like the final straw. I just said, you know what? I've had it. And so I turned them off. I wrote a post. I gave all my rationale. But, but honestly, a lot of it was me just trying to find bandwidth um, to do what I needed to do. Gotcha. And it's, it's, it's intriguing because uh, at the time, Michael, you, your team was, I'm sure, very small, smaller than they are now, right? So you represent kind of the, the one-man blogger who's out there who has to run a, a business and is an entrepreneur. And Brian represents the bigger company that has a team. But you both kind of came to the same conclusion that, at least for now, this was not a wise move. So I'm curious, how did your community respond? Brian, let me start with you because, you know, um, obviously – they couldn't respond on the blog comment. Um, how did, what was the response from your customers and communities once you guys made this decision? Well, we immediately shipped, and I, I should note it, it was two years um, almost that uh, comments were gone, um, which wow. makes more sense. Um, so number one, uh, I knew that I wasn't expecting any sort of business impact by this decision. Like, I was not worried that our sales were going to tank or anything. In fact, uh, that year we grew 30%. We've added $5 million in revenue you know, while comments were gone. So uh, I didn't see it uh, as a business impact thing. Um, but and, and we did shift uh, at the time when Google Plus was still viable, basically. We, we shifted over there. And so we did get to hear from people and what they thought. And some people got it and some people – understood but didn't like it. Uh, and then there was a very vocal group of people who uh, took the opportunity to bring attention to themselves by saying that we were ruining, ruining everything and that we were doomed as a business. And we just, same thing happened when we killed the Facebook page. You know, it's just, we're pretty good at understanding our business. So we weren't worried about that. Um, but we did kind of wonder if we were losing something more intangible uh, by not having comments on the post. And our thinking at the time was no, that the conversation uh, could continue. Um, we were already paying attention in all these social outposts and monitoring and moderating comments. So uh, it just seemed to us that we were streamlining and we were going in the direction that online was evolving to. Michael, I'm going to ask for what your community responded to, but in, but first I want to let you know that the blogging community was shocked um, because being a member of that community um, in, in, in you being one of the bigger blogs in the community, um, they were in uproar in podcast after podcast and blog post after blog post was written asking the question, is it a blog without comments, you know? Um, and, you know, you would have some people saying, well, look, Seth Godin has been doing it for years, right? And, right. and, um, and all that kind of argument. But um, it really was a shock to the community. A lot of people followed your lead, Brian. Um, Michael, what was the response? What was your community response once you shut it down? Well, I had certainly some people that were upset. Not very many. I, I've been graced to have people that are uh, very respectful. And so... At least I wasn't seeing much uh, outrage. I saw people with honest questions about it. The biggest thing I saw was confusion. P 
people didn't know what to do now. You know, they wanted to to be engaged, but there was really no outlet for it. So some people tried to post on Facebook and some people tried to fo- post on Twitter and a few posted on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. But there, because there was no central hub, there was no there was no place that gave the community kind of a center of focus. And I thought that was really disruptive to the community. You know, I, I really believe what um, my buddy Stu McLaren says is that people come for content, but they stay for community. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe some people, it, it really doesn't matter to, but the people that are the most engaged, that buy the most stuff from me, it mattered to them. And I found that for me, it was actually worse than trying to manage the comments that were on my blog because now I had to go to three or four different places to try to, you know, be responsive uh, to the to the conversation. And I I do want to engage. I mean, I don't engage with every comment. You know, I I can't. Uh, but I I do want to be part of that community. You know, I want to be, you know, somebody that's that that engages with people and learns from people and has something to share back and you know be reflective of what I've written. And I couldn't do that very well uh, with it so dispersed over all these different platforms. So about a year, in your case, Michael, about a year after shutting down the blog comments, you wrote a post called Why I Brought Comments Back. So let's let's get into this a little bit. And along the way, you discovered that Brian, that copy blogger, had brought comments back as well. But why don't you share, if, if you can, from your recollection as to why you decided to go ahead and shift things and turn it back on? Yeah, so I was doing a little bit of a postmortem on my traffic for 2015. And the truth is, this was the first year since I started blogging back in uh, 2004 that my blog traffic had not grown. It was absolutely flat. I don't think comments were the only driver, but I definitely believe it had an impact. Another, another driver was that I uh, reduced the number of posts that I was doing per week. Hmm. So I said, we got to engage. Uh, we got we to fix both of those. And so we did. So we brought back comments and I started, I went back from two posts a week to three posts a week. The other thing I discovered, though, is that after I brought them back, I had so many people tell me, they said, you know what, I just stopped dropping by. You know, it, was, it just seemed like it was this automated thing, and it just didn't feel hospitable. It felt cold and sterile and uninviting, and I just didn't feel like I had a place there anymore, so I stopped coming. And interestingly, since I added them back, my traffic is now back growing again, and I'm up 20% over the same period last year. Wow. So do and you attribute it, some, like it injected a little bit of life and other voices to your content that maybe was missing, you think? Yes, I think it, I think it created some vitality on the blog, and it just felt like somebody was home. Hmm. You know, it wasn't just me doing a post and run, but I'm there and I'm engaged. And, you know, my company's bigger now. I've got 15 people full-time. And they do a lot of stuff, but the things that I've kept, one of the things I've kept is responding to the comments. That's awesome. And I think it's been totally, totally worth it. Now, have people stopped commenting on the other social networks because they know there's a place that they can comment on your blog? Or are you also finding that's happening as well? No, they're still commenting there, I think, just as much. But they're usually commenting about what they should comment about, and that's whatever I posted there. Mm -hmm. And not about, you know, something that happened on the blog. Now, I do post about the blog post. Uh, on social media, and occasionally they'll comment there, but usually the commenting, the bulk of the commenting is happening on the blog now. And then, and you use the D-I-S-Q-U-S, discuss comment system, right? 
Yes. And did that address some of the concerns that you had previously? Because I know you shut it down because of that very same technology, right? Yeah. So now you can turn the ads off, which is great. So I didn't want the ads anymore so that I could turn those off. And then in addition to that, it seems like it has much better spam control. You know, I get comments that are quarantined um, every day, and I've been amazed at how accurate they've been. They seem to pick up the subtleties of um, spammers' um, tactics now. And so I, I really, that has not been an issue. So what month did your comments come back, Michael? Uh, January. January. Okay. And Brian, when did you turn your comments back on and what was the motivation? Yeah. So I think it was also January because it coincided with uh, the new redesign of Copyblogger. So it's funny. A lot of the things Michael said um, are very uh, touchy-feely in a good way. And And that's exactly where we came from. Because again, I could not trace any uh, of our business metrics that matter to us. You know, our traffic plateaued as well, um, but we were converti- converting so many more people to email due to an, a new approach, and that's what really matters to us. So, again, I didn't, I didn't see an impact there. But when Pamela Wilson came on board working with us, she came on first doing some freelance work and then uh, accepted a full-time position and uh, that initial role became you're now in charge of Copyblogger, which has been a a role that several people um, in our kind of senior management have taken that on. It's almost like a trial by fire. But, you know, Pamela had been writing for us for years as a guest writer, promoting her own business, uh, you know, much like you did, Mike, back in the day. Right. And, um, and it was her perspective. So I really, as everyone kind of knows, I don't write – like I used to. It used to be Brian's blog, and then it, I wanted it to become bigger than me, and I think to a certain degree uh, that's been successful. But And that's kind of why I abstained on both occasions from making the decision. But Pamela came to me, and she said, you know what, as a writer, as someone who still writes for the blog, not just manages it, I just miss the comments. I miss the interaction. Mm-hmm. I miss the feedback, even if it's not crucial to product development or business decisions because we know our audience pretty well. But I just like, I like it, you know. And it's it, and I was like, okay, my only qualification here is that you have to explain why we're bringing them back, and she did. Uh, and it, if you go read that post, it's very much. What's a, what do you remember what the name of it is? Or I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. Yeah, it's, I think it was also in, it's in the redesign post from January. Okay. Um, I could pull that up for you uh, later. Okay. But, um, I've got it yeah, here. it was a very, it was a very touchy feely in a very good way because that that's intangible stuff matters. It really does. And I tend to be very logical and kind of hard nosed about things. But I get it, you know, and frankly, I kind of miss the comments. So that's a very squishy way to put something. Um, But I think everyone's kind of happy with it. You know, editorial does deal with uh, comment moderation and and spam again. But we made the move of leaving comments only open for seven days because what we what we discovered during the interim when they were closed was that a lot of that spam was coming in on old posts. Um, and what we missed were comments on new posts, right? Like you're not, you don't really feel the same way about a a late comment on a three-year-old post, but you know, what's published this week and what's the feedback and what, what, what are the nuances that the audience is picking up on? 
Uh, we missed that a lot, and, and ultimately, I think we made the right decision. Michael, you have the title of that post handy? Yeah, sorry, I just bounced off again, but let me get it Okay, so go that ahead. Was, Sorry. Go ahead. It was called That Was Then, This Is Now, Welcome to the New Copy Blogger website. Ah, gotcha. Okay, so Brian, what was the response from the audience once the comments came back? Good. <laughs> they were like, thank you. I mean, um, did they start writing like crazy? Was there all of a sudden like this... Thread, I mean, you know, threads I, you of know, comments. I don't know. It, 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 like always, it depends on, right. on the headline. Well, I guess topic, anything, anything is more than what it was before, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and to Michael's point um, earlier, we were always already paying attention to all the social media outposts. I mean, we always did that in addition to uh, the centralized comments. So that was part of the workflow. Uh, when we removed them, it, it really did free up some resources uh, but we, we feel like we've got a happy medium here. So yes, just like Michael, uh, we realize that you're, you can't ignore any social media platform where your audience is. Right. Uh, so that's still part of the job and it's still important, but it is nice. It is nice to have the comments back. My, my, go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, this is kind of interesting. On the post where I said why I brought comments back, I got 485 comments. That's crazy. And And people were just... So positive and, and also told me a lot of what I had, had wished I could have heard after I shut it down, but there was no way for them to really tell me that. It wasn't an easy way to tell me that. Right. But it's just a, it's a whole study if you look at all those comments as to why you shouldn't, at least for me, why I shouldn't have pulled comments to begin with. Well, and I think in your case in particular, if you are a personal brand like you are, Michael Hyatt, um, it's very hard for people to reach you, right? And you have yes. you have gates set up all around you to protect yourself. So this gives people a chance to interact with you in a really cool way, right? Absolutely. That that whole accessibility thing, you know, it's something you have to watch um, as a personality blogger because you know I've got 24 hours in the day and I've got a big right. family and other things that I'm pursuing, and I want to be faithful to those commitments as well. But there's got to be some some way for people to get uh, access, and this is this is one of the ways that they can do it. And it's good for me too. You know, I, I, I need that feedback and I enjoy it. Like Ryan was talking about, I just, you know, I, I love getting the feedback, but it also sharpens my own thinking because there's things that I missed or things that I uh, need to reconsider. And, and this gives a, a way for me to grow from the experience. Well, I would imagine there's also questions that come up that spawn new blog posts. Am I right? Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and that, that was invaluable to, again, when you talk yeah. about, uh, feedback for content strategy, feedback for product development. I mean, that's why we were so careful to say, don't copy us. We, you are not copy blogger. You know, not every, not even every big site. Um, I, I am an advocate for all new sites to eliminate con comments. I mean, have you, yeah, have you ever had that moment where you go, why am I reading the comments? It's just horrible. But they're horrible. Oh, but for for sites like ours, and, and it's interesting to me that. Um, Michael and, and I have uh, very different approaches. I mean, Michael is the brand. And while I have a personal brand, I've always wanted Rainmaker Digital, Copy Blogger even, to be bigger than myself. And yet, I think we came to the same conclusion, even though we have very different uh, ideologies about w what the business is built around. You know, it still mattered that people have that ability to respond. 
Um, Michael, have there, have there been any other like unexpected positive consequences of turning on the comments? Like one thing that comes to mind is just people seeing you respond to other people sends a statement to the world on those blog posts that I think is a positive one because it shows that you're human and you're there and accessible. But have there been any other kind of unintended benefits as a result of turning it back on? Well, I can't really think of any other than what you just said. I just think it humanizes me as a writer. I think it makes the whole site feel warmer and it feels like somebody's at home. Right. You know, as opposed to, you know, the lights are on but nobody's at home. And and now it looks like, you know, I've invited people to the to the over for a uh, dinner or something and I'm there as a host and, you know, I'm listening to what they have to say. You know, it is, it is interesting to me and I don't have a good answer for this, but you know, while my while my traffic plateaued last year, the size of my mailing list doubled. So that is a curious thing to me. Like Brian was basically talking about a similar kind of phenomenon, and email is really important to me. But I think traffic is also important, and engaging with people is also important in terms of building my overall brand. I think so. I mean, I think uh, I also think we shouldn't underestimate the social signals that we're sending Google, perhaps. And Brian, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but do you think? Google is looking to see whether or not there's slight alterations to these posts in the comment section and whether there's anything at work here? Well, we certainly didn't see any dip in, in uh, search traffic. I think there is a social component, social proof more than anything else. There you go. Go ahead and explain that one to people. Yeah, because when you see a post uh, with 77 comments or 495, <laughs> um, I think if we would have titled our post specifically about um, comments, we would have got more specific, but it was buried within the redesign uh, uh, aspect of it. But regardless, it is a signal of whether or not I should invest my time in this. And it's the funny way that we human beings are and how we make decisions and process information. But when the comments were gone, I got to think maybe that was the thing that might have impacted both our traffic and Michael's mm -hmm. because they did not have that signal. Now, of course, Twitter took away the count also, and we were all upset about that because that's another signal right. um, of shareability and, and popularity. So I think, uh, you know, without that comment count, which is generally up there above the headline, people are lacking one key cue as to whether or not this is worth my time. I, I want to uh, – both of you have – teased or hinted at that you, you've radically increased your email acquisition. And I want to start with you, Brian, because you mentioned that you had some new approach to email that you guys, you hinted at least at it. I think I heard that properly, maybe about 10 minutes ago. Um, what is your new approach or what is the approach that you've been using to grow your email list? And then Michael, I'd love to hear whatever techniques you're using as well, because I think people might find that interesting. Sure. Yeah, it's been, it's actually three years old now almost. Um, but we shifted from an opt-in or subscribe to our newsletter type approach, uh, and we shifted to a access and registration approach, meaning uh, we, we repurposed a bunch of our you know, evergreen content on our, our cornerstone topics into really nice eBooks, and then we built this content library that's basically a membership area. Uh, it's free, uh, but you register instead of opt-in. And there's actually a uh, marketing Sherpa case study done on that change that we did in 2013 uh, because our opt-in rate went up 400%. Uh, 
So we've, we've been evolving from there. Now we're doing uh, offering free courses. We actually launched our Rainmaker platform. I mean, this is like our flagship product on a repurposed audio course. Start it as a podcast, turn it into a course. Um, and we're really finding that, you know, whether you want to call them lead magnets or ethical bribe or whatever the case may be, that the game is, has been upped, uh, especially in a competitive field like uh, content marketing. So um, that has been our results. Uh, and I could go on and on about the concept of access. I can get really philosophical about why that is. But in short, that's the way the web works. If you want anything good online, whether it be uh, Gmail or Facebook or Twitter or an, an, a free app, a freemium app, you have to register to get access. And if you don't, you don't have the promised experience. So that's what we've been trying to emulate. The way people actually use the web has been altered, I think, in the last five years by social media. If you don't register for Facebook, you don't get to participate. If you don't log in, you don't get to have the experience. So just so I'm clear, instead of saying, get my newsletter, you're saying, get this get access to whatever this is, right? And yeah, the first thing was the library of eBooks. Uh, then we shifted to a, an online course approach. Uh, and you'll even see that on my personal project, Unemployable, um, it's, it's got that same concept of... Uh, There's a newsletter that comes along with that. It's just not what the offer is. Is that the point? It's interesting because when you're doing curation, which I'm, I've become fascinated with, um, with two projects that don't really make money, but it's how I learn new things. Um, but in, in that regard, the email is the thing as opposed to, oh, yeah, also sign up for our marketing newsletter so we can spam you. It's, a, it's an issue of perception, I mm, think. I see. But even then, um, I'm experimenting right now on Unemployable with – you can get the newsletter in this free course, or you can just get the newsletter. And I think the implication there is, of course, you want the newsletter. It's just up to you whether or not you want this bonus as well. Mm. How about you, Michael? What what have you been doing to grow your newsletter list? Because it sounds like you've done it successfully. Yeah, we grew uh, actually about 120% this last year. And it really came down to what we did in conjunction with our product launches. So we created some incredible lead magnets, uh, or as Brian was saying, ethical bribes. And we really tried to be creative with those and create stuff that had enormous value. So like one of the most successful ones we did was back in December in conjunction with my five days to your best year ever product launch, we created this thing called the Life Score Assessment, which enabled people to score themselves in the 10 domains of life and come up with one score that represented how they're doing in life. People love that stuff. Hmm. And so we got 40,000 opt-ins just on that one how, how did you actually get people to opt in? Was it just random visitors to your website? Facebook ads. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so we ran we ran that on all kinds of Facebook ads. We uploaded, you know, a segment of my email list and did lookalike audience kind of stuff. Wow. Uh, of course, we had affiliates in that promotion too, so they were mailing uh, to their audiences as well. Um, we did another opt in that we actually recycled from last year, and it was one where we went to about twenty high-profile personal development people, and we said, how do you set yourself up for your best year ever? And so they each gave us about a paragraph. We summarized all, all that, put it into eight points, created a PDF, and we got about 80,000 opt-ins to that. Wow. And so it was just That's amazing. 
a steady stream of those. Um, We're just now starting to experiment with uh, Facebook ads. I know the error, 10 years of saying you don't need advertising. <laughs> but uh, it, it's results like that that are, are really too compelling to pass up. Michael, are you willing to share what your, uh, your opt-in uh, conversion cost was for that? Yeah, we were now understand that that this was all part of a lead funnel that left that led to the sale of a product. Right. So you were going to you were going to get a positive ROI, you hope. Yeah. So yeah. let me just give you the life score assessment. I just gave a presentation on this recently, so I'll give you the exact numbers. So we had 40,331 opt-ins. Uh, we ended up spending uh, let me just take here. We sold 1,890 copies of the best year ever course. For a total of four hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars, so that was that was the revenue, and we ended up buying about uh, forty-two thousand dollars worth of Facebook ads to generate that. That's not bad at all. So I will do that all day long. And that, <laughs> and that is just that that is revenue directly attributed attributed to the Facebook advertising, or is that the total revenue for the entire campaign? No, no, that's just for that that one opt-in magnet. That was the top of the funnel, and that was just tracking those people who opted into the Life Score assessment. Wow. And the products that just... You realize some people's minds are getting blown. They think this is a podcast on blogging comments. (laughs) Yeah, we thought we were talking about comments here. Now we're getting serious. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cool. So what do you do with all those 40,000 people when it's all said and done? You still nurture them with your normal content off your blog, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I should have said that. So when when people opt into our opt-ins... We also tell them we're very upfront about this: is that they're going to be uh, they're going to opt into the normal you know newsletter stuff and get all my blog posts as they come off. And so then what we do we use an Infusionsoft. So then we quarantine them for about a period of thirty days, which means we can't uh, we can't promote to them. And I don't know if that's the right length. We're kind of experimenting with that. But where we really want to nurture them, and we have a sequence of you know that, that goes to them with our best content. Uh, over the course of that 30 days, but during that time, they can't. No, we can't promote anything else to them. They're just quarantined. And then the ones that come out of that, now we feel like we've got the relationship and we've built the trust and we can start selling. That's amazing. <laughs> Any thoughts on that, Brian? You think that's a it's a winning philosophy? No, I mean we're we're experimenting with stuff right now uh, that's very similar to that. Um, that's interesting feedback from you, Michael, on on the quarantine um, because there's a lot of conventional wisdom that would say the first thirty day, and that's a much that's a more of a internet marketing, more aggressive ideology of you got to sell to them in the first thirty days or or you won't they won't convert. And I think that's probably wrong, depending on how you execute. You know, yeah. I mean, you mean, you mean the, the conventional co- philosophy is wrong, not necessarily what Michael's doing, right? Is that what you? No, mean? I think Michael's probably got it right. Yes, um, and I suspect that the the nurturing content is also subtly preparing them to buy. If if I know him, <laughs> well, you know, and and let's be honest. I mean, I think that. Um, Michael, you do a great job, but you have very aggressive campaigns. So it is in your best interest, I would imagine, to give them a little bit of break from any promotions and um, allow them to have some great content. Because we also do very aggressive campaigns for social media marketing world. And we know that if we just did this all the time, no one would ever want to stay on our list, right? Exactly right. I think you got to add value before you try to extract value. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole idea behind content marketing. It's, you know, no like and trust, then offer. Yeah. Okay. So in the last few minutes, I want each of you to tell us about what your latest project is. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. 
Yeah, so my latest project is this new book that's um, just hot off the press called Living Forward, A Proven Plan to Stop Drifting and Get the Life You Want. And it's a, basically a book on how to create a life plan. But uh, got endorsements from Seth Godin and Tony Robbins and Patrick Lencioni and a bunch of folks. And um, right now, as I'm talking, it's number 77 on Amazon. We had it up uh, as high as number four on Amazon overall. And it still hasn't been released yet as we're recording this. It's still in pre-order phase. But, um, but it's been fun. I just This is something that's really I'm, I'm passionate about. And people can find out more at livingforwardbook.com. Livingforwardbook.com. Awesome. And Brian, you got any special projects you want to talk about? Yeah, our newest thing we actually launched in the fall, but uh, we're really starting to accelerate. Um, it's called Digital Commerce Institute at digitalcommerce.com. And you're going to appreciate this, Mike, because you were part of my rationale, oh. I think, a year ago um, of why we decided. Now, this is, this is an, you know, an online academy training program and uh, our live uh, Digital Commerce Summit, which will be in October in Denver. So this is all about digital entrepreneurism, creating products and services that are purely digital as opposed to e-commerce or service, you know, professional services or something like that. Uh, and that's what I kind of realized that that's what Rainmaker Digital is. We're a digital commerce company. Just about everything except for our live events is, you know, it's created, uh, delivered, marketed, supported all digitally. And it, the, the realization really came to me um, after putting on our, uh, our second, uh, you know, version of our own content marketing conference. And it, it was a great success and it was awesome. But I started to think, you know what, Stelzner owns social media marketing for his show. And Joe Paluzzi owns content marketing because, you know, that's, that was his thing. Um, and we joined in because I was talking about content marketing uh, before he got started, but I didn't call it that, right? And I said, so what do we really own? And that was the idea for Digital Commerce Institute. Um, and it's been phenomenal because I think we found our thing. And uh, I have some really ambitious plans go forward, but, you know, first year, Awesome. We got to get get the new event out and uh, grow from there. And got a URL you want to send people to? Yeah, it's, well, actually, digitalcommerce.com slash register is a free taste, if you will. You'll get uh, access to some of our paid courses, the initial lessons, some of our case study webinars, and stuff like that. And um, we are just about to start experimenting with Facebook ads for that free membership. And so I'm going to be stealing some of Hyatt's ideas. <laughs> Michael Hyatt, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Brian Clark, thank you for joining me, us. Oh, always a pleasure, Mike. You guys are incredible. I know that a lot of people are going to be hitting that rewind button if there is such a thing on their podcast player. Thank you guys both for your time and have a wonderful day. You bet. Thanks. Was that awesome or was that awesome? See, I told you it was going to be awesome. Hey, if there was anything we mentioned in today's show and you just didn't catch it because you're on the go, don't worry. We take all the notes for you at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 191. Stands for episode 191. And if you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. I don't want you to miss the amazing future podcast episodes we have lined up for you. And with that, I want to thank you so much for joining me. And I forgot my typical clothes. Oh, here we go. (laughs) 
This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. And I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.